0: Hi, it's Dustin, and you're listening to another episode of The Burleson Box. Our guest on today's episode is Dr. Jacinta Jimenez, author of The Burnout Fix, Overcome Overwhelm, Be Busy, and Sustain Success in the New World of Work. Dr. Jimenez is a thought leader in the science of leadership, motivation, and behavioral change. A graduate of Stanford University, her work has been featured on CNN, Business Insider, Forbes, and Fast Company. Today on the Burleson Box, we'll dig into her book, The Burnout Fix. It's a must-read for anyone who wants to achieve success without compromising fulfillment, vitality, or well-being in the process. The Burnout Fix provides a compelling, timely, and important message for individuals, teams, and organizations about what it means to thrive in today's complex and rapidly changing world of work. I'm excited for you to join us today on this episode of The Burleson Box.
1: When's the last time you evaluated your credit card processing statement? Our partners at Stacks are offering a free savings analysis for our listeners, where they will actually take your merchant statement with your current processor and show you where you're overpaying. Stacks has saved orthodontics practices over 40% per month on payment processing costs. So don't wait. Get your free savings analysis today and see how much you're overpaying for your credit card processing. Go to StacksPayments.com forward slash Burleson seminars to schedule your savings analysis today. Plus, as a special offer for our podcast listeners, if you sign up today, you can get your first two months of payments processing costs waived from Stacks. Once again, that's StacksPayments.com forward slash Burleson seminars. Stop overpaying. Start saving.
0: Dr. Jimenez, thanks for being here today. It's an honor to talk about your latest book, The Burnout Fix. Thanks for being here.
2: Hi, I am so delighted to be here. I'm always happy to spread the word about the myths and realities and truths of burnout, especially now in 2021 in the wake of COVID-19.
0: I was talking to you before we started the recording about how timely this book is. And I know it's no secret that COVID-19 has created a lot of stress in our listeners and in their employees uh, and burnout for a lot of people. But my understanding is you started working on this book well before the global pandemic. And so I just, I'm kind of curious what prompted you to write it and and to specifically write about burnout.
2: Yeah, I am really, this is a great place to start Um, because when I started writing this book, I had no idea what 2020 was going to have in store for us, but I was already seeing trends in the clients I work with, um, seeing trends in looking at mental health statistics um, and getting really worried, uh, you know, I, in 2019, the World Health Organization recognized burnout in their ICD-11, the International Classification of Diseases, as an occupational phenomenon. That's how serious it was getting. Um, and there wasn't any really great resources out there that talked about what burnout is, Um but also what you can do to prevent it. I feel like we're entering into this new world of work, but we're, we're, all, we're holding on to these outdated formulas of what it takes to be and stay successful at work. Um, and, and a new world of work is, is, requires new ways to approach work. And I uh, felt very compelled because I kept seeing individuals, incredibly capable, bright, talented individuals, a lot of um, small business owners as well, uh, really struggling, even though they are more than capable, but burnout had kind of crept up on them slowly but surely, and it was really heartbreaking for me. So I'm hoping this book can offer folks some practical tools based on research that can help them thrive and excel in the midst of our forever abnormal world.
0: That's what I love about your book. It's based on scientific evidence. Um, I joke and say, as an orthodontist writing to other dentists and orthodontists, the bar is set pretty low for me. So the books that I've written are largely (laughs) opinion and anecdote. We call them little islands of brilliance and a sea of kind of (laughs) meh, like mediocrity. (laughs) Your book is uh, a sea of brilliance. It's really, really impressive. So, you know, talk about, because I think burnout is kind of this sometimes nebulous term. So can you talk about, you know, what exactly is burnout and how do we define it?
2: Yes. Yes. Thank you for asking that question too. I feel like I was actually nervous to name my book, The Burnout Fix, because burnout is such a loaded term and it has some miscon about what it is, and as a science geek, I love research. I have way too many citations in my book, but I'm like, no, the science speaks. Um, <laughs> I I uh, wanted to really get the record straight because there's been some incredible research um, from, especially Christina Maslach. I'm I'm standing on the shoulder shoulders of that giant of her researcher, pioneering researcher in um, in burnout. But basically, I think it gets misunderstood that burnout is just due to overwork. You workaholic, you work yourself down to the bone, and you burn out. And yes, workload is one piece of it, but it's not the whole picture. And I think that's where we get stuck as we think, oh, I'm overworking. I just need to work less. Let me figure out how to work less. Why am I not feeling better? But burnout comes from actually six causes. Um, But before I talk about the six causes really quick, I just want to say that the essence of burnout is when our capacities as human beings doesn't match or gets disconnected or doesn't match up with the nature of our work. So it's not about work-life balance necessarily. I say it's about human capacity and work balance. Like how do we go back to taking care of ourselves as humans um, in the ways that we've thrived as a species for centuries? So thinking about how we eat behave, think, uh, relate to others, manage our emotional reserves. All of those things are so fundamental in keeping us resilient in the face of stressful, serious work. Um, so there's actually six mismatches, um, in a job and a person. The first one is a conflict of values. And I think this is really significant. I see this one a lot for, um, healthcare workers and, and dentistry, um, it's when your personal values aren't in, in with, you know, the nature of your work. So if you are dealing with, you know, you have so many different things you have to take care of, especially if you're in, um, running your own practice, insurance, headaches, uh, you know, insurance quotas, uh, supply bills, lab bills, all of these things that, that put pressure on you in terms of being able to be, you know, compassionate and, high, and provide high quality care for your patients, which is what people came into this profession for. To and that the practice environment can make that very difficult, and that can feel out of alignment for someone if they feel that values disconnection. I feel like a really serious, extreme example of this. I'm going to go to the extreme outlier case, but it just to illustrate how it's not just overwork that can cause burnout. Is um, Theranos? So. If you've read Bad Blood or heard of Theranos, it's a health technology company that was infamous for its false claims have devised blood tests and only needed small amounts of blood to be performed rapidly. And anyway, um, Ian Gibbons was a biochemist and the chief scientist, and he wanted to set really high standards in terms of benchmarks. And obviously, the machines at Theranos were not um, hitting those. And it got to the point where it felt so out of alignment with what he stood for and why he went into his profession that he ended up taking his life the night before he was required to testify in a lawsuit. So it's pretty heavy. I'll go quickly through the other ones because I know I'm talking a lot. Um, The other one is absence of fairness, so unfairness in equity or workload or pay, Um, workload, the presence of high job demands and inadequate resources to complete the job. So that can be um, resources of capital support from uh, if you're in a practice support from your boss or or colleagues um, and then uh, insufficient reward so you know the lack of uh, financial social intrinsic reward you know dentistry is a high risk high high stress profession there's a lot that goes into it and then if you're if you, your income isn't matching the risk it feels out of alignment you're like I'm taking all these risks I'm putting myself out there to help my people and I'm not getting, you know, the financial reward that I, I, you know, I feel like I deserve for doing this. That's going to find, that's going to take a a toll on someone and then low social support. So, um, you know, just not feeling that support because as human beings we're, we're wired to connect and, and, we existed in tribes and that's how we thrive and then low levels of job control. So not being given the appropriate level of responsibility or tools that we need to get our jobs done. So I'll stop there. I could keep going, but I, I want to, <laughs> I want to pause. So
0: I, right, well, I appreciate you highlighting the research um, from professor Maslach. And and that's why we love books like yours. And it's not just as I alluded to someone's opinion or just a collection of stories, but it's actually based on great research and not just, you know, feel-good, warm fuzzies, these actually drive results in the business. I think Professor Maslow's at UC Berkeley and just a brilliant, brilliant mind. And yes. um, I'm going to go back to um, Theranos because we wrote about Elizabeth Holmes in, in a weekend update that we've been doing since, okay. gosh, 2011. And we, when, we, when we saw her published in The Economist and in The New Yorker, and they I mean like wow. the first woman tech billionaire was just got everyone's attention, right? Mm-hmm, Turns mm-hmm. out all, you know, a house of cards with technology that didn't work. And in hindsight, I think, One of her professors at Stanford before that all fell apart knew this was just a a completely unrealistic set of demands. Mm
2: -hmm. And so that
0: happens in every business. So I want to highlight on this conflict in values where, you know, I grew up with this mindset. My grandfather was a coal miner and never graduated from high school. Um, All three of his kids became doctors. All nine of his grandkids became doctors with this mantra of hard work, hard work, hard work. But that's not enough anymore. And in the book, it's so you know, excellently described and laid out how we can actually change, I kind of want to highlight that for the listeners that, you know, this isn't just a book about learning something new and then putting it on the shelf. It's actually a, it's a toolkit, it's a workbook, and you can help your employees, back to the Theranos example, you know, align with the right values and not just say things like, well, you know, like make it work, you know, like, and these biochemists said it, it's what you're asking for is impossible there is a, a, a true conflict and you know i was reading recently i think it was in, probably in a McKinsey report but it was the kaiser family foundation their most recent data at the time of this recording during the pandemic that something like 45 47 percent of all u.s adults currently have stress to the point that it's affecting their mental health. And those are our employees. So kind of maybe speak to that. And some of those myths about burnout, alluding to my grandfather who grew up with the, you know, just work harder and everything will be okay.
2: Yes. And, and you're, I just have so many thoughts of like, oh yes, what you said about Elizabeth Holmes, that, that mismatch and, 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 and that, you know, that's an extreme case, but if that happens day after day, it's, it's corrosive drips in mass, um, can really affect us. So burnout isn't just an on and off switch; it happens over time. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's really alarming. The research, like in December just just December 2020, Gallup found that Americans' ratings of their own mental health has dropped to its lowest points since the survey even began two decades prior. Um, wow. With yeah, yeah, it, a nine point drop. So it's it's pretty heartbreaking, and that sets up the precedent. For, um, you know, burnout is, is considered an occupational phenomenon, but if our psychological resources are taxed, our inner resources are taxed, and our mental health isn't solid, we are going to be more susceptible to burnout. It makes us uh, more vulnerable. And so I think, you know, it, it's – the work hard piece is is – is beautiful in some ways. And I'm not saying working hard or working smart aren't, you know, productivity hacks and all those things aren't good practices, but we also need to have our, our resilience practices in in place because, it's not the same. We are hyperconnected. We can quite frankly always be on and connected. We're getting information overload. And um, that can lead to what I call, and I talk about this in my book, uh, you know productivity itis, where our preoccupation with productivity does more harm than good. And when you look at the literature, people who work past a certain, certain threshold, you actually have diminishing returns in your output. You are going to make more mistakes. You're going to get more sick days. Um, you're you're not going to solve problems as clearly. You're not going to be as effective in your relationships. Your empathy even goes down at a point when you start exhausting your reserves. We are human beings. We are not machines. And if we don't build proactively, you know, our resilience, a resilience toolkit, um, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. And uh, I can't emphasize this more. I I, I just uh, think that it's not a nice to have anymore. It's, it's it's and it's not mutually exclusive of hard work, but you need to have it counterbalanced. So, um, thank you for asking that question because it, it's totally what the whole premise of the book is about. And I get so passionate about this.
0: That's why I want to shift gears to the readers and listeners who it's real easy to dig into this book really quickly because you'll start to see things you can apply in your life you say in the book in the book after sharing some stories that quote the biggest thing that keeps this is you speaking from the book that keeps you up at night out of concern for today's workforce is while the world of work is changing rapidly we humans are not productively adapting alongside it what a true statement can you talk about how you know some of these core capabilities? You share, you share five of them in the book, you know, that readers and listeners can now say, okay, I get it. I understand that this can affect my work, my productivity, my employees, where we're headed as a company. Can you share some of those core capabilities for buffering against burnout and how we kind of make progress in the other direction?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, um, I built this to be a holistic set of capabilities because you can't solve burnout with one-off coping mechanisms. You know, we hear like, go meditate, go, you know, exercise. And those are great, but we really need a holistic integrative approach. And then the other thing I want to say before I start talking about them is that, you know, in my thousands of hours of coaching and working with people across all types of industries um, is that burnout is not a one size fits all solution to solve burnout. It's very personal. Everyone has their unique work circumstances, culture, background, um, and and traits. And so, it's really important to have a personalized approach to addressing burnout. So, when I built these, I I did I created kind of five main core capabilities, and then under those are three sub capabilities. And what it turns out to be in the back of the book, kind of the culmination of the book, is fifteen different kind of strategies that you can employ to buffer against burnout. Um, and I call it, I reference it as your period, again, my science nerd, um, your periodic table for a resilience, lo- resilient life where you can pull different compounds and mix and match the tools to fit your unique circumstances versus just, versus me just telling everyone, hey, just go do this or do that. But really able being able to personalize and empower yourself to figure out what combination is going to best help you given your circumstances. So um, I refer to these as your personal pulse principles. So just like you have to take care of your heart health to keep your body healthy, you also have to take care of your your vitality and well-being. And I refer to that as your personal pulse, especially because Christina Maslach, again, who we've talked about earlier, um, who has probably seen the most people burned out ever, describes burnout as an erosion of the human soul. And if any of you out there have burned out, you could, and I've burned out, I talk about it in my book, you can probably relate to that feeling. It's so powerful. So how do we keep our personal pulse strong and vital and healthy? And so the P is about pacing for performance. Um, using uh, research from Uh, Erickson that talks about deliberate practice, that small incremental changes really add up to a lot if we do it in a certain way where we think about, you know, even if something didn't go well or not, we're always reflecting. Um, And John Dewey, an American uh, philosopher and education reformist, Says, we reflect on experience. Uh, we learn from experience. We don't learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on experience. So, teaching you how to reflect so you can have quicker feedback loops to upskill faster without burning yourself out in the process. And the new world of work is going to constantly require new learning and staying on your edge. And so, here's a way to stay on your edge without. Um, burning yourself out or feeling overwhelmed in the process in the most efficient way possible. The U is undo untidy thinking. So it's it's about really paying attention to our thoughts. And with awareness, we can have so much choice in how we want to respond. And I have a variety of techniques for that. The L is leverage leisure. And this one I get really excited about because I think we can learn a lot from old world leisure where, you know, um, In Spain, they have the sobremesa where you sit around the table and you talk. There's just beautiful cultural things in old world cultures that, you know, westernized cultures just don't, um, and and newer cultures just don't incorporate. And we've lost the sense of what leisure truly is. It's not compensatory leisure. This is kind of what we do now, especially in the United States where we go out clubbing, we party, we blow off steam or spillover leisure where we go on the couch and we just like, uh, you know, Scroll through our internet uh, and watch Netflix or something else. True leisure is about psychological detachment and replenishment. It's about using your free time to actually be free, which is pretty amazing. Um, And then the S is secure support. So how to build a community, but also with breath. So you have more cognitive flexibility and also setting boundaries so you can give without giving of yourself completely. And then the E is evaluating your effort. So understanding how to manage your energy and your emotions and, um, also finding meaning and purpose. So, uh, pretty excited about it because I think there's a lot you can play with within the sub kind of, Practices that I present in the book, which was really, really important to me because I've read too many self help books to count. And I'm like, this is great, but it's a lot, it's too much for me or too little for someone else. So, how do I make it, you know, accessible to everyone and valuable to as many readers as possible?
0: Dr. Burleson here. You've heard that real estate should be a part of every investor's portfolio. But maybe you're unsure where to start. My good friend and colleague, Dr. David Phelps, leads an investor community that has ditched the traditional Wall Street model for the stability of real estate assets. They are called Freedom Founders. And they do real estate really, really well. David's Freedom Blueprint reveals exactly how much you need to retire. Some of my top clients have done the program. They speak highly of David and his Freedom Blueprint. With the certainty of their passive real estate investments, Freedom Founders members are free to spend more time with family or even leave the practice altogether. David has put together some special resources for my listeners. To access, just text Dustin to 972 203 six nine six zero or go to freedomfounders.com forward slash Burlison. Yeah, you did a great job with it. And I um I think for the listeners it would help for them to know that you, you have a very successful practice and have been a found co-founder of a very successful startup based in Silicon Valley. So when someone who works with really smart tech titans um is telling you how to maybe detach from some of these things. Maybe, maybe that's good advice. So, um, you know, we always assume, I think when Walter Isaacson did the um, biography of Steve jobs, he said, when he went over to the house for the first time, he expected like, you know, an entire wall to be like an iPad and and Steve and his wife said, Oh no, no, no. We, we limit screen time for the kids. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to highlight the reflection part in the book. You said there, and it's a great, Tip, And I, I, I love it is to learn a new habit to piggyback it on something. So the example you shared in the book was when brushing your teeth, maybe that uh, called to me as a dentist when, when brushing your teeth, maybe you take some time and reflect on something you're working on in your personal life or in the business. I'm curious in developing those 15 scientifically backed recommendations, which I love that you call it a periodic table because everyone (laughs) listening to this is a science geek as well. So we're all, right, we got our protractors. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm curious if in researching the book, and I asked this question to another uh, author, Benjamin Spall, who wrote the book, My Morning Routine. And I said, when you researched the book, like, did you – Stumble across anything that maybe you changed in your own personal life, and maybe share if maybe if it surprisingly worked or if it fizzled and failed. I'm curious in the process of researching the book if there's anything you changed about uh, kind of your own um, periodic table, if you will.
2: Oh, what a great question! I feel like with all of these, I was I was my own guinea pig in a lot of ways. Like, okay, so the science says to go out 20 minutes in nature. Let me experiment. I'm just I just like to experiment in general, so. Um, I think, but I think one of the the big ones for me was the circles of support. I have an exercise of circles of support about how to build, um, network breadth. So thinking about that, you can have different levels of social support and that weak ties they found. So people like you see every day, the barista at your coffee shop, the person at your 8am yoga class, even, even, um, clients that you you have a relationship with, but not a deeper, deeper relationship with, those are actually really important for your social well-being. And, And so really honoring that Oh, it's okay. It's really important that I invest in weak ties and strong ties. Um, that would be my core inner circle. And so, to be able to look at my social connections through different layers, so that I can be really thoughtful and strategic about how I make sure that I have the right support around me at the right times. And um, I think, especially in the face of COVID, I, I, I think uh, you know, coming out of this, uh, really. I, 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 I'm assuming that a lot of folks are going to feel compelled to really lean into social connection. And so doing it in a way that is also most advantageous and, and, and valuable for, for you and the people that you're connecting with, um, is quite powerful. So I think that one stood out to me the most.
0: That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. I am, um, you know, I, I think as everyone listens to the book, um, the burnout folks, the burnout fix and goes through the exercises and, um, you know, starts to work on themselves. We have a saying that, you know, we can only do good in the world if we're doing well. And we really want clients to kind of get their mm-hmm. head spaced right and work on themselves. The next step is helping lead your organization. So whether you're listening to this and have 10 employees or you have a hundred employees, I want to kind of, I'm curious your thoughts how organizational leaders, whether they're small or medium sized businesses can help their employees thrive in their own kind of complex world uh, of work, be it dentistry to, Surgery or um, consulting, you know, what's the research say on that? And I'm curious your take.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I th- you know, it's. It, I think this is a silver lining of COVID is that um, employers and, and business leaders um, are are starting to see that their employees' well being isn't just a nice to have; it's part of their responsibility as a leader. Um, that it's not something that's just up to the individual. That it that it is a two way street, and I'm I'm hopeful that you know, um, my dream, if you know, if I could wave my magic wand, would be that you know, leaders start having conversations about checking in with someone about how is your pulse instead of how's your well being, which is really amorphous and undefined. It's like, how's your pulse? People can say, oh, my thinking is this, or I'm not evaluating my effort well, and it allows for more fruitful conversations. But at a larger organizational level, I think it's really important to lean into kind of these three pillars that I talk about in my book, um, autonomy, benevolence, and community. Um, because if we don't, uh, so so each pillar is kind of a different... Um, uh, buffer against those six mismatches, basically. So, um, the, oh, excuse me, the first one's agency, but it's about fostering autonomy. So, it's about making clear, implicit, and explicit expectations for job role success, ensuring workload and resources and time and constraints are realistic and feasible, and investing in meaningful and personal professional development. So, the more you can provide your people with certainty and control, the better they're going to be at at um, at their work and how they show up at their work. Also, certainty creates psychological safety. So for healthcare, this is so fundamental. So Amy Edmondson has been the pioneering research in psychological safety, but it's basically that the group is safe for interpersonal risk-taking. And um, she started, a lot of her research was looking at nurses or staff wanting to tell, you know, a surgeon or someone else, hey, I think this is off, but they were too scared to do so. And so being able to create an environment where people feel everything's predictable and safe, they are more likely to speak up and you're going to have less um, mistakes or missed opportunities on the job. The next one is benevolence. It's just do no harm. You know, once uh, just committing to equitable equitable practices. So you don't create that mismatch in values, um, or mismatch in fairness. So, um, and recognizing and affirming and rewarding accomplishments. Remember that reward is one of the main causes of burnout, um, inadequate reward. And then the last one is community. I, I, I just, you know, we're, we're in a time in our, in the world where loneliness is, is rising, and loneliness is very dangerous. It's as dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's uh, more dangerous than being an alcoholic. It's so serious. And if you look at the, there's a really cool study out of Harvard that's been going for 80 years. It's the longest longitudinal study, and it looked at people across their entire lifespan at this point almost entire lifespan. And they looked at all kinds of variables to predict what makes someone truly happy and fulfilled and flourishing. And it came down to out of all the variables that they could look at, and just pages and pages and pages of research, it came out to good relationships. Positive relationships are so fundamental to flourishing in so many other areas of our lives. So being able to bolster inclusion and belonging and and create care for your employees as people goes so far in so many ways for health, um, efficacy, again, psychological safety is going to be enhanced if you do that. So Looking at those three pillars and really holding yourself, you know, I encourage leaders to start setting KPIs around these, you know, or their employees' well-being just to, just to make sure that they're really prioritizing this um, and showing the employees that they're working to do that. And you don't have to figure it all out on your own. Your people can co-create with you uh, to come up with what's going to be most efficacious. And that, that's really beautiful because that inherently builds community in the process.
0: It's great, and I want to dig into this personal pulse because you know we do. I think we either learned it from the Disney Institute or maybe it was uh, with Howard Schultz at Starbucks. This concept that you know your employees just sit and wait like a piece of machinery, like you know in your office there's a printer kind of waiting with its little light blinking, just ready to go back to work. Uh, You know that's not how our employees behave when they're off on the weekend. You know these resiliency practices, these personal pulse tips are are huge. And the book provides that. So I want to highlight and thank you for writing the book because there's a wonderful section on everything from onboarding employees to management and oversight. And I think it was probably the Disney Institute to give credit where credit's due, maybe the Ritz-Carlton Leadership Center, but we latched onto it. And now based on reading your book, we're going to expand it. So for listeners, if you're new to us, you, you might not have heard this tip, but twice a year, we just anonymously pull our employees with one question. And it's knowing what you know now, would you recommend a friend or family member come work in this business? And the minute we have more than one or two, and we have about 58 employees, the minute we have more than one or two saying, no, we have a real issue. And I, I love in the book, how you, you dig into this personal polls and, and yeah, making it a KPI and checking in and actually knowing where your employees are kind of on this spectrum. So, um, I'm kind of curious as you work with a lot of clients and have done thousands of hours of, of, of work in these areas, you know, maybe how or when did you maybe find your personal pulse or, or, or a, a level where you feel like it's steady? And then how do you help others find theirs?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and I, first of all, I just want to say, I love that you, you send that out um, and are, are are checking in on that um, and responding too. I mean, I think that's what matters so much to employees is just that you're responding and thinking about it. You know, they, I don't think they expect you to know the full answer all the time because I think people are still figuring out, organizations, leaders. But but just even taking that step is so huge and, and reassuring that you're thinking of their well-being. So thank you for – I'm so thrilled to hear you um, – that you're doing that. Um, and then um, – The second part, can you? I just want to make sure I heard the question right. I got so excited about the other piece that. uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to expand and take more more of the lessons from the book on how we check in on that pulse. I'm just curious, either maybe some anecdotal examples, or maybe in your own life with clients, kind of how you know. I know the book is the master recipe, so to speak, for how to find this how to find this pulse, maybe some mistakes you see leaders making in teaching this or sharing this or engaging employees with finding their personal pulse. You know, How do we improve that? How do we make it more steady? I guess yes. maybe some some reflection on that.
2: Got it. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to make sure I was getting it right. And I was, so dis- I was so into hearing about your survey. I was like, oh yeah, I got to pay <laughs> attention to the other part. Um, so I, I think... Uh, I think it's so important to constantly monitor for burnout. Um, just like we, you know, being in tech, I'm like, why haven't we built this yet? But just, I, you know, I wear a smartwatch. I track my steps. I track my sleep. I have a, a Aura ring. Like I, I like numbers and stats and things. Um, but I, th- you know, in the same way people track their blood pressure, right? We should be monitoring proactively indicators of well-being so that we can catch it ahead of time and we can respond. Um, and if we know we can catch it, then we can respond based on those six mismatches. So we can go, oh, it's not just overwork, it's a mismatch line of values, then we can actually address it. So the more granular you can get with what's causing it, the faster you can address it in the most effective way possible. But first, you have to recognize it. And and burnout shows up in kind of three core Core components. The first one is exhaustion. So you just don't feel like you um, can get back to the energy that you were before. Um, you you feel you know. People often say to me when I'm l- working with them, I can in- hear the unsteady pulses. Like I feel emotionally drained by my work. I feel used up by the end of the workday. I feel tired when I have to get up in the morning and face another day on the job. And that's happening more days than not. Um, the next one is cynicism. So that's like just feeling like you were so bought into your work and what you signed up to do in life and your vocation. And then you're questioning it. You're feeling annoyed with your coworkers. You're snapping at colleagues. Um, and, and some questions that I hear from clients when I'm working with them is I become you know less interested in my work. I'm less enthusiastic about my work. I just don't want to be bothered. I just want to do my job and go home. I don't think my work really contributes to anything substantial in the world. So it's really this this level of um, questioning kind of what their work means anymore. And then the last one's really heartbreaking is, is inefficacy. So feeling like they don't feel confident, that they're effective at getting things done. Even though they are, it's just burnout's kind of gotten further along. I can't effectively solve problems. I'm not doing great at my job. And so when burnout happens, when these three things come together, but interestingly, people can have different burnout profiles. So someone may be really high in cynicism or someone else is lower at in cynicism and higher in exhaustion. So I I encourage people like take Friday, you know, 15 minutes. It doesn't take long. And just ask yourself kind of how am I doing on exhaustion, cynicism, and efficacy? And if you've been burned out in the past, you can know how that kind of shows up for you. And you can kind of track it over time so that if it's starting to dip, you can catch it and you can do something about it. And then you can employ one of the, the activities that I have and, and, and and respond to it effectively and, and move forward. Um, while also simultaneously building out, you know, these pulse, um, resilience capabilities in addition. Uh, but I think that's one of the biggest things is, is just that that's helped me personally maintain a steady pulse is if I stop monitoring, it's, it's a slippery slope. Burnout is so insidious. It creeps up over time. It's, you don't even catch it. I think that's the most dangerous thing about it. You don't even know it's happening until it's gotten to the point where it's disrupting your functioning and your body's like screaming at you and you're not sleeping. Um, then you really notice it. But but it, it's, it's, yeah, it's very slow and it gnaws at you over time. So if you can catch it, you can respond. And then if you know the six mismatches, you don't just go, oh, I'm overworking. You can actually go, oh, my values or oh, I'm not getting enough reward and address those specific things. So hopefully... Uh, folks feel more empowered um, by having kind of a clearer sense versus just, oh, I'm overworking um, and that umbrella viewpoint of burnout.
0: That's a great example. And and I think most of the people listening to this, particularly the dentists who are at extremely high risk for burnout. I have patients who will often say things like, man, dentistry, there's always this kind of widespread, it's a little bit of a myth, but that, you know, dentistry has a high suicide rate and there certainly Mm -hmm. is a high stress rate. And I, I always joke, not about suicide, but about the job, right? I said, imagine working upside down underwater in the size of a, of a kind of a matchbox doing watch repair work all day long. Right. (laughs) Sort of patient laugh. I was like, and then, you know, it's on someone who has bad breath and doesn't pay the bill. Like, yeah, dentists are often under a lot of stress, but you know, joking aside this ability and also the research in the book to check in with our bodies instead of constantly asking, you know, which is what we do. We get on the hamster wheel, we show up uh, in our clinics. we run, four very large offices, we see over 100 patients a day. And we're constantly asking things of our body, you know, we're Mm -hmm. running from chair to chair, we're putting out fires with anything from management of employees who showed up late to someone who's, you know, not doing things appropriately. So we're constantly asking things of our body, but it's very rare that we stop and ask what our body needs from us. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this, this, I love this concept of checking in you know, frequently, like if not every day, several times throughout the day, like, like a Fitbit or like a smartwatch would do and checking on not only your own, but your team members exhaustion, their cynicism, you start to see people rolling their eyes or or having interpersonal conflicts. Um, and they the ultimately being ineffective at what we do. I mean, it's one thing to be ineffective at writing a piece of software code that might not, you know, get the job done. and has to be redone. It's a entirely different set of circumstances and risks as a surgeon or as a dentist placing an implant yes. uh, or an oral surgeon removing a tooth to be ineffective. And so I think you're I mean spot on with this book. I, I love this concept you share. I'm curious, I want to get your opinion because everyone who listens who has been listening for a while knows that I sail. So I, I love to be in the water, on the water, around the water, uh, and even, yes, in the middle of the country, you, you can sail. It's not as great as in the ocean, but we do have great lakes <laughs> in the Midwest. And, uh, you know, I can feel my blood pressure, like, drop when I when I turn the motor uh-huh. off and I raise the mainsail. Like, that being in nature, uh, which you cover a lot of the book and your kind of periodic table. So, um, long, rambling question, but the the to wrap a bow on the point. Can you share how, either in your life or your clients or people you've worked with, um, that – connection with nature, um, is important and perhaps maybe some tips on how frequently, uh, some of your clients or some of your, um, uh, patients have, have, have engaged with nature and what's worked really well.
2: Yes. Yeah. Thank you uh, for asking this question. Cause I'm, I, this, this is a huge one for me personally. Um, but, I, before I get into that, I just want to say, like, you were talking about that constant on, you know, feet and working and and, and, and having to have such, as a dentist, such intense focus. And, you know, that is energy. That is energy expenditure. It, it may, We may not be doing that many steps, but I'm sure um, you feel it and every, folks who are listening can feel that. Because the brain, even though it's, it's very small in terms of our body weight, it counts for I think 20% of our energy use. Um, so it's, it's, it's one of the organs, if not the organ, that uses the most energy in our body. And, and that putting that to use without recovery can be, for long hours without recovery, can take a toll. Um, I always say resilience isn't about how you endure, it's how you recharge and replenish. Um, and, I, and I often set in the mantra to my, my clients, when you stress, you must rest. You just have to balance. It's, it's a you know, profit and loss. Think of it as that with your energy. Um, if you put something in, you got to take, you, you know, um, then you have some more reserves. So if something stressful does happen, you, ha- you can take some, some of your resilience out of the piggy bank, metaphorical piggy bank, and you won't break the bank, basically. So uh, balancing stress, which is okay in small doses, that's fine. We were built like that to, you know, survive in, in the wilderness as a, you know, hunter gatherers. It's just chronic stress without the recovery. So balancing that stress. And, and I think one of the main ways that I do this is through nature. Um, nature's always, I love saline as well. I think it just puts me in, in mindfulness. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not even looking, you know, I'm, I'm feeling the wind on my face. I'm, I'm so in the moment and connected to my body. Um, but there's been so much research that's talked about how nature can truly um, d- reduce our levels of cortisol, reduce our heart rate, our stress response, especially for people who have really high stress levels. That shows the most um, benefit from being in nature. And it doesn't take long. It only takes about 20... Uh, minutes of nature time to kind of have that reduction in stress response. But for so long, I was in, I'm like, I'm pretty athletic and adventurous. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I hiked Kilimanjaro and I like to snowboard and sail and do all these extreme activities. And then, um, I think, you know, three years ago, I got really, really sick. And it was to the point where I, you know, I had eight surgical procedures. No, don't recommend that within a short period of time and countless doctor appointments. And I couldn't go adventure in nature in the way I wanted to. And that was really hard for me. I think that was one of the hardest things I've gone through. And I remember grieving that loss and realizing, you know, but realizing in return and working through this that I needed to figure out how to commune with nature because I was, you know, thinking about this book, practicing these pulse principles, and nature was a big one. And so I, I went to a little park near my house and I sat there and I felt the earth under my feet. I took my shoes off and felt the grass and smelled the flowers. And I go, oh, communing with nature isn't just about adventuring through it and conquering things. It's about sitting and being with it and using your senses to really sit with it. And it makes so much sense because from an evolutionarily evolutionary perspective we 've been in nature for ninety nine point nine percent of our of our species our our existence as a species has existed in nature so we 're programmed to want to be in nature and so um, that was a huge moment of insight for me so now I prescribe nature pills to my um clients and I I work with some high high profile folks and they're like look at me like what are you talking about and I'm like nope just go into nature sit with it just be with it and they come back every time so much more um delighted and happy and it becomes part of their practice and it's part of my practice I I feel like I'm a better leader a better friend everything when I when I spend time with nature and if I don't I can feel it and I think the folks around me can feel it too
0: That's so true, and I'm so glad you shared it. And the book has some great examples uh, to use, and I've um, long recommended to our members they do that. And some of them give me a a strange look at first, but uh, letting the sun wake you up and not an alarm clock, getting the grass under your feet, you know, taking a week and just being somewhere quiet. Um, some of the smartest people on the planet do it. I think Bill Gates still goes away every year for his mm-hmm. Think week. And, um, so I just appreciate you sharing that. I know we're getting close to the end of our time together. If you've been listening and, and as you read through the book, um, I just want to kind of leave one thought and then I want to make sure everyone knows where to find uh, more about you and what you're doing next. And, um, I know for our members. We have so many requests for ways to eliminate stress from the workplace. Right, they want to have a stress-free workplace. But I hope after listening to today's episode, our members have learned um, not only that burnout is going is you know real, and there there are things you can do to address it, but that you have tools now. Right. And that chronic workplace stress uh, that is not properly managed can really be uh, extremely dangerous on not only your own personal life, but your business. So, um, Dr. Jimenez, I I appreciate you writing the book. It's it's brilliant. I know it's going to do exceptionally well. And um, I appreciate you being here. I want to let you maybe share what's next, what you're what you're working on now and where people can find more about you.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, in full book mode right now um, and and working with my clients and then advising startups here in Silicon Valley. So that's really exciting, especially tied to well being. And you can find me. Um, at my website. It's uh, Um And you can find my book. It doesn't come out till March 9th, but it is on sale at lots of bookstores, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, even Walmart. So it's there and you can pre-order it if you're um, feeling excited or go pick it up now. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm so delighted to be here and, and thank you for such great questions and, and, and insightful conversation today.
0: Thank you. The book is The Burnout Fix, and we'll include links in the show notes to Dr. Jimenez's website and more information about some of the research we mentioned and cited today. Uh, Dr. Jimenez, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You've been listening to another episode of The Burleson Box, where we bring you and your team leaders into the conversation with today's best authors and business leaders. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share us with a friend or colleague visit theburlesonbox.com where you can sign up to receive my monthly reading list and study guides for each of the books and authors we interview. Or pick up the phone and call us at 1-800-891-7520 to discuss how a Burlesonbox Box membership, monthly coaching, and our annual leadership conference can work for you and your team leaders. Be sure to listen each month for new resources to help you and your employees serve your patients with excellence And until next time, remember the words of C.S. Lewis, who said, We read to know that we are not alone. Go, make it a great month, and I'll see you right here next time on The Burleson Box.
1: Are you trying to increase your treatment plan close rates while also increasing revenue? How can you do both for your dental practice without burning out an already burdened staff? The answer? Remote dental monitoring – you need a trusted HIPAA compliant app that helps you and your staff work smarter, not harder. This needs to be an easy-to-use, easy onboard app that your patients will find fun to use and will increase their engagement and success with aligners. You need the InHand Dental app – the InHand Dental app allows you to engage with your patients in real time send individual and batched messages, and solve problems to increase compliance without using up chair time. The result? Happy patients, happy staff, and happy practices. With more revenue and the ability to do more starts, with prices starting as low as $149 a month, it's perfect for a growing aligner business. Check us out and learn more at InHandDental.com. Plus, mention Burleson for a 20% off discount on your subscription when you contact us. That's InHandDental.com.